Bonjour tout le monde. Uh, we are so glad that you are here today and every Sunday. I love to ask this question uh, because this book is the foundation for our lives, the light for our feet, the lamp for our path. What we need for our lives is found here, illuminated by His Holy Spirit. And so I just want to ask you, voici la question. Nous sommes prêts. Here's the question. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Oh, okay. I think, I, I don't, I'm not sure you were ready for that one. Because, I mean, I could just save this till next week. Are you, here, here we go. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Today we finish this series called Rescue, where we are looking at people who are in a time of great need in their lives. They're backed into a corner. There seems to be no way of escape. They do not know what to do. And at just the right moment, God comes to their rescue. Now, I don't know how many of you maybe feel that way today, Uh, But I sensed a level of faith in this room that actually helped me this morning, that helped strengthen my faith. When you were raising a hallelujah, I don't know about you, and the the worship choir is singing, and I can hear you, and like from behind, I'm up on the front row, and you're like blowing my hair right off, and you're singing so loud. It was amazing, and that helped strengthen my faith today. In fact, I I wonder if maybe you'd even just sing a song that that to me sums up this rescue theme. I bet some of you know it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. I don't know about for you, but for me, October has been a hard month. I'm ready for October to be over. Can I just be really, really honest today, like brutally honest? Uh, It's been a tough month, and there's been so much. In fact, we've had three different uh, crisis situations with pastors on staff, and we've had uh, this last week, uh, Peter Greer, who's worked here in our church office for over 30 years, uh, who was diagnosed with a vicious form of cancer and Uh, And yet this week, it seems like there's the seed of what might be a miracle. I'm not sure that that story might have some amazing results that we're going to hear of in the coming days. And we're waiting for some test results uh, here at the beginning of the week. This week, my brother, who lives in the United States, had a massive heart attack while he was driving down the road and, uh, and almost died in his home today and doing pretty well. And we give thanks to God for that. Uh, Tracy and I have, give thanks to God for that. Uh, Tracy and I have, uh, you know, friends whose marriages are on the rocks and the burden that we care, uh, carry for that. And I bet I'm not the only one who maybe you come here today and say, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. 
And listen, if that's where you are today, and maybe you're here in this room or maybe you're with us online right now, and the fact is you are just hanging on by a thread today, let me tell you what we need. We need some Jesus today. We need the power of Jesus. We need the truth of his word. And that is why I am so excited about this story in the Old Testament book of Daniel because I think that for some of you, this is God-ordained timing that you were here today. Now, before we get into the book of Daniel, it's important for us to understand a little about the political situation in the land back in 600 B.C., 600 years before Jesus was born. Babylon was the most powerful kingdom in that part of the world. They had come to dominate pretty much every other nation in that region, including Israel. And here is what the Babylonians would do in order to maintain their power. That when they had conquered another nation, they would take the best and brightest young men from that nation... And they would take them away from their parents and bring them to Babylon. So they would take them away from their parents, bring them to Babylon, teach them the culture of Babylon, teach them the language of Babylon, how to, uh, the religion of Babylon, the, the values of their culture, because they knew that if you can take over the education of children, you can shape the future of a culture. It's true. And so they taught these young men what to eat, what kind of music to listen to, what kind of entertainment to enjoy, how to dress, how to, how to think, and they even changed their names to Babylonian names. And among these young men, there were three boys who were taken from Israel, these Jewish boys who were brought to Babylon named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And as young boys, their parents had taught them how to worship and serve and obey God. And so when Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are brought to Babylon, they are given new Babylonian names. And I bet some of you know who they are. Their new names in Babylon became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody say that together just because I think it's really, really fun to say. It feels good coming off the lips. Here, have fun with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in the capital city of Babylon when the king decides to do something crazy. The king decides that he wants everybody in the land to worship him. And so he builds a statue that is 90 feet tall, 90 feet high. And he sets it up where it can be seen. It's nine feet wide. It's, it's covered in, in gold. And it can be seen for, for kilometers around. And then as the people are watching, wondering why is he building this? What is happening? As they're watching the statue constructed, eventually the announcement is made. In chapter 3 of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do. 
O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And so they have a big orchestra. And every time the band comes out, the people are, are forced to bow down and worship the statue of the king. Now, for most of the Babylonians, this is no big deal. They're used to this because they live in a culture where people worship all kinds of crazy stuff. Sounds kind of familiar, yes? And so people are, are used to worshiping all kinds of false gods and all kinds of, of people. And this is just another form of celebrity worship and, and cultural worship. But, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have committed themselves to the Lord God Almighty, Adonai Yahweh, God and God alone. And so when they are told to bow down, they face a couple of different pressures. I think, number one, there is the pressure to conform. And we all know what it's like to feel the pressure to conform to the society around us. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be made fun of. And so, so we, we have the pressure to conform to politics and the pressure, the pressure to conform to to the expectations and values of our culture. And really, it is hard for us as Christians sometimes to figure out what parts of culture are okay and what parts of culture go against the Word of God. And if you don't struggle with that question, then you are not paying attention. Because every one of us as Christians should every day be wrestling with this question. What parts of culture are okay to just go along with, and what parts do I need to stand up against? This week is Halloween, and one of the questions that a pastor gets all the time is, hey, what should Christians do about Halloween? In fact, this week I had one of our immigrants uh, who's new to Canada who said, uh, said, where I come from, there's no such thing as Halloween dressing up going door to door. And, and, and that it, it doesn't look so bad on the surface, but they said there's a lot of evil and, and the, the movies and the, the imagery and the witches and demons and, and violence and the blood and the gore. And, and like, that seems really evil. Why are Christians involved in this? And so they were, they were asking a very important question that we should all be asking. And my answer, if you're just wondering, because... Not that you have to take my advice, it's you need to follow the convictions that God puts on your heart, but the way that our family always operated is that there's nothing wrong necessarily in and of itself with getting dressed up and going around and sharing candy with innocent costumes and having fun, and so, so we've always participated in that in a light, fun way, not in a gruesome evil way. And then at the same time, but listen, at the same time, I said, but, but the greater part of that I said is the way we've always seen it, as Christians, our job is to be a light to our neighbors, right? To share the light of Christ. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. What shares the light of Christ best on Halloween? Turn off the lights, close the doors, kids go away, we don't have anything for you. Or turn on the lights, put on the fireplace, open the door with a big smile, and have the biggest, baddest, coolest candy the kids have ever seen, and say, we love you, come to my house anytime, because we're here to represent Jesus. 
And, and, and so all the time, now that's just how we have, have functioned, and so it's kind of expensive buying the best candy on the street. But, uh, but, but that's a question that all of us face, is where should we stand up against culture, and where is it okay to operate within culture? And when it comes to politics and values and lifestyles, listen, number two, what comes out of that is the fear of consequences. Because the fact is, if you don't go along with everybody else, you might get made fun of. In, in some circumstances, standing up against what's going on and, and maybe the culture of your job might mean that you lose your job. It might mean that you lose a contract, that you lose money standing up for integrity. It might mean that, that you lose friends. It might mean that people say bad things about you. But Daniel chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image. You get this. Everybody else does it. Everybody else. The image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this time, some astrologers, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Some astrologers came forward and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't following the rules. How many of you hated it when that happened in class when you were growing up? Teacher, Joel didn't follow the rules. He's in trouble. And, and that, these astrologers, they're supposed to be able to tell the future. They can't even do that. So instead of telling the future, they go tell teacher. <laughs> I, I wonder if their zodiac sign was the sign of the rat. I don't know. I just made that up. Uh, but, and so these astrologers, look at what they do in verse 12. They say, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And they admit, yes, king, it's true. We did not bow down to your idol. And King Nezer is feeling kind of generous, I guess, this day, because he says, look, maybe you didn't understand the rules the first time. But around here, this is how we operate. And so this time, I'm going to give you another chance. But if you don't bow down this time, there's trouble. The king says in verse 15, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to follow, uh, fall down and worship the image of God, or the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The king makes fun of them and says, you believe in some fairy tale Bible. Look at you believing that some God is going to protect you. He makes fun of them for their belief in God. But the question that the king is asking them is a question that every one of us has to answer in our lives when it comes to 
our trust. The question is this, in whom do you trust? Are you going to trust the promises of culture or are you going to trust the promises of God? Are you going to go God's way or are, are you going to go the world's way? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I imagine, decided to have a little conference over in the corner. And they have to make a decision. Are they going to bow down or are they going to stand up? And I think as they wrestled with this, they probably asked a few things. First of all, is it possible to give in but not buy in? In other words, is it possible to just kind of go along and pretend to be like everybody else and bow down on the outside, but on the inside, we don't really mean it? But the problem is Jesus said, if you deny me before men on earth, I will deny you before your Father in heaven. So that's not an option. And the second question I, I imagine they asked, is it possible to give in then just ask God for forgiveness. Now, can I tell you, pastors hear this question all the time. <laughs> because people all the time want to know, is it possible for me to just go ahead and sin now and do what's easy, do what I want to do, because I know that later I can come back and ask God for forgiveness. And listen, the truth is, we serve a loving and forgiving God. And if you mess up, if you fail, and then later you come back and honestly and humbly surrender yourself to God, he will always forgive you. But here's the problem. That's true, but here's the problem. When you sin today because you think you can ask for forgiveness for tomorrow, that speaks to a lack of what the Bible calls repentance. And repentance, the Bible says, is, is necessary for salvation and forgiveness. Repentance means that I'm going to turn around, that I, I surrender, that I actually feel bad about what I've done. And so, in, in other words, if you just do bad on purpose because you think God will forgive you, that lack of repentance means that God might not forgive you unless you meet it in your heart. And so these young men have only one choice. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. They said, look, king, we are going to do the right thing even if it costs us everything because, oh, king, we trust in God more than we trust in you. And then get this, verse 18. Verse 18. But even if he does not. Even if God does not rescue us. They say, even if we do go up in smoke. They say, even if we die in the fire. Even, King, if you try to hurt us and you try to take everything from us, we want you to know, O oh King. They said, look, even if we will not worship the image that you have set up, 
Even if this doesn't turn out to be a happy, happy, joy, joy story. Even if this does not have to be be an Instagram moment, hashtag serving Jesus rocks, hashtag God was there for me, hashtag the king is a big old baddie. Even if we're going to serve our God anyway, we will not bow down to the idol of your government. We will not bow down to the pressure of this world. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Skip to verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. This is not how the story is supposed to turn out, right? Why does God not rescue them? Why does God not protect them from having to be thrown into the fire? Why does God not step in in this circumstance? You see, I think that that speaks to a reality that sometimes takes us by surprise when we realize that God does not always protect us from having to walk through a fire, through difficult seasons, through great problems in your life. You will experience pain even as a Christian, but here's the difference. In the midst of your pain, God provides his presence. And that makes all the difference. In the midst of your pain, God provides his presence. So this is so good. If you look at this story, the king throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. But come on now, watch out, watch out, watch out. When when the world counts you out, they better watch out because your God is about to show out. (laughs) Here we go. They tied up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they threw them into the furnace. But verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods, looks like the son of God. Don't miss this. Jesus showed up and walked with them in the flames. And so listen, no matter what you're going through today, maybe you feel like there is no way of escape. Maybe you feel like this world is against you. You're afraid and it seems like the fire is about to consume you. Whatever you do, do not fail to remember this. Jesus walks with you in the midst of the flames. You are not alone. And so in your pain, God provides his presence. And number two, in your problems, God provides his power. How many of you think this is your message today? (laughs) That you are here for a reason today. Listen, I I, I want you to realize something. 
Seldom do miracles happen for people when everything is good and life is easy. Miracles are what happen when life is hard. And here's the reality. Sometimes the bigger your problem, the more you get to see of God's power. Because problems are the place where miracles are birthed. Let let this sink in now. Let me say that again. Problems are the place where miracles are birthed. And it is in the midst of your pain that you get to see even more of God's presence than you've ever seen before. It's a gift. And it's in the midst of your problems that you get to see God's power like never before. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now look at how he changes his tune. How does he address them? Servants of the Most High God. He used to think he was the Most High God. Now he realizes that is not the case. Come out. Come here. So notice all of a sudden the king starts to get religious, doesn't he? You need to realize when life is good, seldom are people impressed by your God. Because everybody can do, you know, be happy and joyful in the midst of good times when the money is flowing and everything is easy. But people take notice of how good your God is when they see him lifting you up and walking with you in the midst of the fire. It's your greatest testimony. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, verse 27, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And so everybody starts sniffing and poking at those boys trying to figure out what happened. And so here's the question. This is really important. Listen, if they had died in the fire that day, would their faith be any less valid? If they had died in the fire that day, even in the midst of their faith, would that have meant that God had failed them? And the answer is no. No, why? Because if they die, where do they go? To heaven, right? That's not a bad ending. So, oh, now I'm going to start meddling. Be careful in your small groups. We're a church of small groups. Be careful in your small groups that your prayer requests are all not just about praying for sick Christians. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for sick Christians. We should. But sometimes we pray more to keep saints out of heaven than we do to rescue sinners from hell. We sometimes act just like everybody else and think that death is a defeat when Christ has already said that death is a victory for us. And so that, Satan hates it. (laughs) The enemy hates it because he knows that even if you lose, you win. If you die, 
you go to heaven. If you live, you get to testify to God's power. Either way, it's a (laughs) win-win. And so in verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. All of a sudden, the king starts worshiping God himself. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They got the promotion, and God got the glory, and the whole nation sees that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a God who never fails. Let me give you a word today. Here's the word. If you're going through times of great difficulty right now in your life, you need to understand that there are times when you stand up for Jesus that people are going to turn their backs on you. They're going to say bad things about you. You might lose your job. You might lose money. You might lose influence. And it will seem like the easier way is to just give in and go with the crowd. But what seems like the easy way is seldom the right way. What seems like the easy way is seldom the right way. And so when I look back at this story, to me it leaves me with this this question that sort of sums up the whole story. What do you believe in today? In fact, to bring it back into this story, let's make it even more specific. What do you believe in today so much that you are willing to die for it? You see, the fact of the matter is, at least in my opinion, I don't think there are many things that people believe in this world today, in our culture, so much that they'd be willing to die for it. I thought about that over the last few weeks as I was watching the the national debates with the prime minister debates and all the candidates and all the answers to the questions and their policies and their beliefs. And and at a certain point, I stopped and thought, all this stuff that our political leaders are talking about, do they believe any of it so much that they would be willing to die for it? Probably not. Because what happens is, I think when we go through life and we never ask this question and answer it in our own lives, what happens is we just end up adopting the belief system of the world. Because that's easy, right? It's popular. It gets you lots of attention. People say, oh, that's the definition of a good person when you meet their standards. When you believe what they believe, when you do what they do, when you value what they value. But the problem is, I think so often people have not evaluated if they believe what the world has said so much that they would be willing to die for it. And here's the key listen, if you don't have something that you believe so much that you are willing to die for it, 
then you have not yet figured out what's worth living for. Come on now. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had answered this question in their life. They were so committed to God, they were willing to die for Him. And so what about you? Is there anything right now that you believe in so much that you would be willing to die for it? If you can't answer that question, then you have not yet even figured out what life is for. And as for me, as for me and many people in this room, the answer to that question is Jesus. I would die for Jesus. Why? Why? I would die for Jesus because he already died for me. Would you stand? We're just going to give you a moment just to meditate and listen to the Spirit of God. And be really honest in your heart right now. Do you really believe enough that you would be willing to die for Jesus? I hope that none of you ever have to face that question. I hope that I never have to face that question in a real way where my life is on the line. But it's possible. And we know that all around the world today, we have fellow Christians who that question literally is a life or death question for them. Thousands of Christians killed around the world because they stood up for Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here and your encouragement that in the midst of our pain, you are present. In the midst of our problems, we see your power. That for many today, the problems that we brought into this place are the substance, the, the place, the foundation upon which your miracles can be birthed in our lives. And so, Lord, whatever burdens, whatever pain, whatever fear is in this room today, Lord, may we be strengthened by your word. May your spirit give us courage to walk in faith. For you are worth it.
because you died for us, Jesus, we live for you.